Good morning, good morning, good morning. See, everybody's pretty much at their seats. Doors are shut. Everybody having a good morning? Good morning, sir. Good. Good crowd this morning. Before I get started, I did want to take a minute. And I know you've heard me mention our Faith Bible Institute before, but I'm going to mention it again. Coming into the spring semester, we just finished our fall semester last week was the final week of class they finished up their tests last week so we get a little bit of a break for a few weeks which it's going to be nice but uh, we go into our spring semester here probably the second week of january about is when we'll start next semester we're going to be in doing old testament judges and the single kingdom of israel judges ruth first and second samuel First Chronicles, First Kings 1 through 11, and Second Chronicles 1 through 9. That'll be our Old Testament classes that we take. As part of our New Testament classes, we'll be doing New Testament epistles, James, Galatians, First and Second Thessalonians, and Romans. And instead of a theological class this semester, we're going to be studying the Hebrew wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Um, so these classes, how that works is we'll be each week, take about an hour for each topic, and it's about 17, 18 weeks. We do three hours generally on Thursday nights here upstairs in, in Brother Lynn's old classroom. Now, one of the different aspects of it now that I really want to emphasize for folks, because I get it, three hours a week on top of everything else you got going on is a lot. It's a, it's a huge commitment, along with the study time that you need in the class as far as reading and, and preparing. But Faith Bible Institute, because of the COVID stuff the last few years, kind of transitioned their materials from us having to use DVDs at, you know, and everybody watch them. And if you miss a class, we had to hand you a DVD and check them in and out to everything's online. Everything's online. The classes are all online now. So they have two different enrollment methods. If you're going to enroll and you're like, you know what, I, want to, I still want to attend class with the, with the students. And I'll tell you, that's where the, uh, you get a huge benefit from that. You can enroll and it's like 120 bucks, 90 bucks a semester-ish. If you miss a class, no big deal. Watch it online. If something's up, coming up that week and you just didn't get home till late, no big deal. Stay home. Watch it online. No, we're not keeping track of that. You can also enroll and just be an online student only. You're like, you know what? I really, I don't have the time to go to classes once a week. So, but I want to take the material. So I want to be an online student. Now you can do that. It's a little bit more. It's like $160 a semester. Now, let me say that $160 for the material you're getting is still an incredible value, an incredible value. Um, 
So I really kind of want to push that, you know, if you just, you've been kind of holding back, maybe holding back because I'm not quite sure if I want to devote the time, you can do it at home, online, at your own speed. At your own speed. I'll be happy to help you with that process, kind of get you caught up on how to use their website and so forth. Yeah, all the testing is online. It's just a phenomenal phenomenal class. I think we're going through it now for the third time, maybe fourth. So we've been doing this for a few semesters now. Who all's been through FBI? I'm just curious. Yeah, so scattered about. Um, I'd like to, it'd be neat. We're, we got about 12 to 15 enrolled for spring. I'd love to see some more involved in that. Uh, I guarantee you won't regret being involved. Miss Brenda's been involved now for a couple semesters and she loves it. She probably won't be shy telling you about it if you ask her about it. Um, it's just a really good experience that I, I just can't emphasize enough. I really think you don't. So if you have a question about it, like I said, enrollment is online at the Faith Bible Institute website. If you do just a Google search for Faith Bible Institute, it'll pull right up. You go to their website, you enroll, you can pay all of the fees up front. You can pay a small down payment and then it'll give you four more dates that you can pay throughout the semester. But let me also say that if finances is keeping you from enrolling, come and talk to me and we'll find a way to get you enrolled. I, we, I've talked to pastor about that. This is a ministry like any other ministry the church does. And I don't want to see somebody not be able to get access to this class purely because maybe they don't have the money at the time to get enrolled. Um, so really there's, We've taken away all the excuses. Well, I can't come to class. That's okay, you can do it at home. Well, man, you know, I really can't. That's okay, we'll take care of it. So uh, we got a few weeks now that you can enroll. Um, the Clarks enroll in our class from Germany. Uh, actually, my daughter enrolls in our class from Oklahoma City and takes it online with our class because she goes down to Heartland and they don't have this program. So we have people all over now that are, are getting involved and it's just, it's neat, it's good stuff. So if you have any questions, get with me on that. All right. Now on that, we're gonna be in 1 John today. 1 John chapter three. But before we read, let's go open our class in prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, it's just such a great day. We have beautiful weather. We have uh, the Christmas season just right here. We have our uh, Christmas festival this evening, which we're excited for. Uh, other programs and activities, Christmas parties. It's just such a great time of year, Lord. And it's great just this morning to be able to come to your house, to gather with your people, to just see the fellowship that goes on prior to the class and between class and worship services. It's just you can tell there's a love for one another. And as we've studied in 1 John, that's one of the major tests of knowing 
for sure whether your salvation is real, and that's that you love one another. And it's evident in this room. They love each other because, Lord, we all love you. And we know you love us, and we're just so, so grateful for all the gifts and mercy and grace that you show us, Lord. And as we open up your word this morning, we just ask that you be with us, that there be something from our lesson that uh, uh, might be specific to somebody here that they can either make a decision today towards you or uh, an ex- uh, a Christian here who makes a decision to, to uh, grow closer to you and, and, and get filled by your spirit, Lord. Be with Pastor even now as he's preparing for his sermon here in a little while and prepare us for even that time to come. Dear Heavenly Father, while we didn't take prayer requests or, or, or praises, I know there's unspokens and, and things in the room, illnesses. I would just have you, you know all of these, just take care of them as, as you see fit, Lord, and we just lift them all and give them to you to handle. Again, as we open up your word, be with us here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 John chapter 3. Start reading in verse 2. And the Bible says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear that we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither know him. Verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now, last week in our class, we kind of studied these verses. Um, we studied verse 2 down to about verse 8, and we're, we were looking at, uh, number one, sin, and kind of what, what sin is and, and what it is not. And I kind of spoke a little bit about the fact that it's unusual, unfortunately, in some churches to even hear the word sin even brought up anymore. You hear a lot of, uh, of uh, 
so-called pastors or, or teachers that won't even teach on sin. They'll say, well, you know, people are beat up all week long, and I don't want them to come to church and beat them up even more. So I want to encourage them. And, and, and there's times I, I come to church and I'm encouraged, right? And there's other times I come and I leave and I'm convicted. Um, but there's a growing number of pastors out there that just won't teach on sin. And I'm grateful that this church isn't one of them. We teach, what, full counsel, right? Everything. We come to this, these verses and we're going to teach on it. We gave a few examples of, of some of those. And John even kind of warns us of these, these false teachers When he said in verse 7, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He's saying, don't get caught up in this stuff. And remember, he's writing this letter to a specific church that's been dealing with issues inside the church. People teaching um, false doctrines within the church, causing people to go astray, causing people to get confused about, well, they're teaching this. I was taught this when I got saved, but that's different than this, so am I really saved? And it was confusing people. And John's, John's saying, don't let people deceive you on that. Don't let them deceive you. And I, that lesson is still for us, definitely for us even today, and I think very much so. Um, it, it happens more outside of these walls than it does maybe within, but, you know, we should be even wary of that within. Um, but as you're going about your days and you're listening or you're reading a book, you got to be careful what you get caught up in. Satan will lay a seed in your heart at an inopportune time because of a circumstance going on, and I read this thing, and it leads you astray. So be careful. It's a constant battle. The other thing that John is doing is he's writing this letter to this church. He's kind of giving them a few tests. He's saying, here's some tests you can self-evaluate yourself with to find out if you're really saved, to find out if your salvation is genuine. And he kind of, early on, he was like, are you following the commandments? Are you doing what Jesus taught when he had his ministry here on earth? Are you following those those teachings. If you are, and you were saved the right way, then you're likely saved. Are you loving your brethren? Do you love those that also call themselves Christian? And taking it even further, do you love those that don't? Saying, you know, if you're out there and you're, you're not showing love to people, then you might need to check yourself. Because Christianity is about love. It's a love religion, right? Now he says, we studied last week, he's saying, is your doctrine right? The, the teachings that you're doing, the studying that you're doing, when you're studying about sin, when you're studying about uh, Christ, is your doctrine correct? That's the test now he's saying in verse 9 and 10 that we'll go over today, just those two verses, is your behavior right? Is your behavior 
Right. We call ourselves Christian, and then you go out and leave here today and go to work tomorrow. You act any different than the ones that don't call themselves Christian? I mean, is there a difference? Um, I went to a, a deal recently, and one of the people involved I know goes to another church in town and is a leader in that church. But I got to tell you, the conversations that he was having was no different than a lost person. Uh, it, it, made, it made me sad. It really did. I mean, he, he called, he was, he's a deacon in this other church even. And, I mean, there were times I, do you laugh at those odd off-color jokes or do you kind of like, you know, remove yourself from that situation? But there's people out there that their behavior doesn't match what they call themselves. And it damages our, the cause of Christianity. Because the lost person's going to go, well, why do I put myself through it then? Because <laughs> he's not acting any different. Your behavior should be different. Your behavior should be different. Why? Verse 9. John begins by telling us, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his sin, or excuse me, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. We have a new nature when we get saved, don't we? A new birth. The old man's put away and the new man's put on. It is a new nature. John told us in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of God. You're born of God. You're brought into that family. For uh, Peter tells us in his epistle, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. You have that new birth that Christ talked about in, uh, in John when he was talking to, to Nicodemus. You are born again, and I think sometimes we still think we have the old person still on, and you kind of carry that burden around of what things used to be like. And there's no need. You don't have to carry that burden around. You have a new nature, an absolute new nature. We talked about it uh, briefly in the last couple of weeks, but uh, we talked about uh, uh, inherited traits. Think back to you know genetic traits that maybe were passed down to you from your parents or from your grandparents. You know what makes it what makes uh, a, a biddinger a biddinger by just by the traits that get passed down. 
You're like, even if I didn't know somebody's last name, you know that they must, I bet they're a part of that family because they got the same thing. Tyers, I was telling my class, all have these big foreheads. <laughs> my sister, same way. I feel for her. Her kids, same way. They got these big foreheads. When my wife was picking us up for Sunday school or Bible um, school back when I was five, and she was 10, and her parents would come to our house and pick us up for, for Bible school at Northeast. She hated doing it, and she remembers telling her mom, I don't want to have to pick up that kid with the big forehead. <laughs> it worked out okay. And it's getting bigger, too. But you have these traits that you pick up from people, don't you? And you can, you can think of something maybe from your family. My family, the guys get, start losing their hair. I mean, it, it happens. What are you going to do about it? Other families, maybe, uh, uh, you know, maybe you get gray hair earlier or, or, you know, who knows? Maybe they got bigger noses or something. I don't know. But we get those traits passed down from our, our family. Well, it's the same thing with the family that we get adopted to when you um, become saved you get the nature of God within you that makes you born again that you now have a tr the trait of God in you have you really ever kind of thought about that and what John has been telling us is used to you couldn't be righteous you couldn't. What's the Bible say about that? All our righteousness as a, is as of filthy rags. I mean, you can try being good, but you can't be righteous. You don't have the nature, that nature of God in you. Now, once you become saved and you accept that gift from him, and you repent of your sins and you accept his son for who he is, and that, debt, that sacrifice on the cross, and you accept that into your life, you get an instantaneous washing and rebirth, and you now obtain righteousness from God, and you can now do righteousness. Because you have that trait that's now passed down to you through an, adopt, uh, uh, an adoptable inheritance. It's just amazing. It's, it's just an amazing concept. But we get that, we have that because, John tells us, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. Now, you might think, well, he said you, you cannot sin. But earlier in chapter 1, he says that you can sin, and he knows we're going to sin. So be careful. So, oh, that must be one of those contradictions that they tell us about, right? No. What he's meaning, and we've talked about it before, because you cannot sin means you don't have a nature that continually sins. You have the Spirit of God in you, and because God is holy, you if you go out and sin, and we all do, right? We're a sinner, so we sin. But when that happens... It breaks you. 
it breaks you and you feel you feel guilt and God kind of starts poking at you until you get that right until you ask for forgiveness to him for that but you don't have this continual nature of sin about you um, I always like to think at least and sometimes while I want to think I'm kind of I can be self-aware about how I'm presenting myself or what I'm saying and how that might be perceived or taken um, sometimes I think uh, I've been in, you know, incorrect on that over the years but I think we have to be constantly self-aware of our actions and how it's affecting the nature of God within us and if when you sin, that self-awareness should immediately break you down until you get that right with God. Those who have born of God, again, cannot live in a lifestyle of sin because God planted a new nature in us and gave, his, his, gave us His Holy Spirit. Now, I wrote this as well. The passage does not teach sinless perfection, though. We can't do that. And some claim that it does teach that. The Greek tense used here does not teach that a Christian cannot ever commit a single act of sin. Instead, it teaches that believers cannot live in a habitual lifestyle. Now, I found one author that kind of put it this way, and I, I wrote it down. He said, quote, John is not setting before us here a terrifying perfectionism. And if that was the bar we can't meet that I mean so he's not he's not doing that he's not uh, setting before us this terrifying perfectionism in which he is demanding a life which is totally and absolutely without sin but he is demanding a life which is ever on the watch against sin a life which ever fights the battle of goodness a life which has never surrendered to sin, a life in which sin is not the permanent state, but only the temporary aberration of life in which sin is not the normal accepted way, but the abnormal moment of defeat. I thought, well, that pretty well said. Sometimes, I think these guys do it. I mean, we can just sit up here and read what other people said. They get it right better than I can. But some have taught that this text teaches, well then, if you sin, and the Bible says you can't sin, so if you sin, then you either weren't saved or you lost your salvation at that point. And that's not what John's te uh, talking about either. The text clearly states that believers cannot live in this habitual lifestyle dominated by sin. It does not say that if we do, we lose our salvation. I mean, there's nowhere in there that you can make that, that connection. But other, some teach it that way. Some do teach it that way. And I love J. Vernon McGee. He's one of my favorite people to listen to and study. And he put it this way. I believe in the security of the believer, but I also believe in the insecurity of the make-believers. That's a J. Vernon McGee quote right there. Verse 10, John tells us, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. 
Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Here we see another reference to if you are, if you can't do righteousness, then you're not of God. But if you're out there doing righteousness, you have the seed of God in you. But if you're out not doing righteousness and living a sinful life, then you have to be a part of one of two families. You're either adopted into God's family through your rebirth or you're uh, in the family of Satan. You're in one of those two families. Now that's put pretty bluntly, but it's true. You got, there, you got to be in one or two. There's no third, fourth, or fifth option here. And again, John's telling us we have these tests of behavior. Is your behavior match what you say you are? The test of righteousness in verse 10. 2 Corinthians says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We couldn't do that on our own. We couldn't do that on our own. We had to have Jesus and God bring him and live that perfect life so that he could say, you know, he conquered the issues of this life, was crucified and sacrificed um, without a blemish and rose again. And now we can have that opportunity to have that gift. Those who live in a lifestyle totally dominated by a habit of continual sin have neither seen God nor know Him. They may talk about Him. I, and I've seen that, you know, and I know you guys probably have as well, folks like this who still have this, this think, well, you know, you got, you're just going to church. You don't have to be in church to be saved. And they'll come up with all these things. God is who I think he is. And as long as I'm, you know, whatever, you know. Um, and they come up with all this having never spent time in the Bible to evaluate any of it. Those who have been born again do not and cannot live again in this lifestyle of continual sin, which we've already mentioned. We talked about the traits passed down from generations, and again, we see it here. We see that children look like their father. The children of God, God have his nature and live in righteousness and love. The children of the devil have his nature and live in wickedness and hate. I mean, it's, it's, it's right here. Now, when a true Christian does sin, what's the process here? As again, I, I read one author, and I like how he put it. He said, God's going to start pestering you. I like that word, pester. He's going to start pestering you until you get this right, if you're truly saved. We have an example of this in Psalm 32, if you can flip over there for a second. Psalm 32. 
We have a Psalm of David here, of course. David uh, fell in sin. And, and nobody would argue that David, David was a man after God's own heart, right? David was as saved as saved can be, but he fell. Did he not? He, he fell. And he, David gives us a, a psalm here of God pestering him, if you will. So let's read this. Uh, psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed in those whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. I tried to ignore God. He was pestering me to get this right, but I kept silent. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Salah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Salah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters thy shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Salah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bitten bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. You can see at the beginning of that chapter how um, David, I mean, this is, it, God was pestering him pretty good. He tried to remain silent on it. He tried, you know, well, maybe if I don't mention it, it'll go away. Maybe time heals. Time don't heal everything. And God, you know, began, you know, just made David heavy. He could feel God's hand upon him, just pushing him down. The pressure just dried him up inside. And David finally, like we should, gave in to that and said, you know what, forgive me. We have that ability to ask. We have the ability to go straight to Christ and say, forgive me. And if you're truly saved and have the Holy Spirit in your heart, you're not going to lose that Holy Spirit, but can you at times lose some of your fellowship with God? Absolutely. Absolutely. You may come to church and you're just not getting, you don't feel, you're not getting... You don't feel the same thing you used to feel. 
You're probably out of fellowship with God right now. You need to get that right. And David talks about what that feels like, and I think we all can relate to that at one point or another. We all can relate to it. But I think we also all can relate to that point that we finally went, you know what, i got to make this right. So at invitation time, I approach the altar and I get that right with God, or I do it from my seat, or I do it at home. Whatever it is, take that opportunity and make that right, because that feeling's not going to go away if you're truly saved. Now, I would say if you're not saved, then you, you get that same feeling sometime when God's working on you to get saved. Don't ignore that either. Because David in the second half of this really gives us a great picture of what it begins to feel like once that burden has been lifted. Once he's not living with that guilt. Because once you ask for forgiveness, guess what? If you're doing it with a, a pure heart, it's forgiven. Move on. Move on from it. You don't have to be, you don't have to carry around that guilt of, well, there was that one time I, I really, really messed up. Yeah, God's already made that okay because you went to Him with a good heart. Now, there may be some consequences that are earthly, but. You made that right with God. The David kind of gives us a, a picture of what that, what that looks like. So in conclusion, again, I kind of mentioned, can a, losing, can a Christian lose fellowship with God? And yeah, you can. If you're starting down a road of, of sin, um, then you'll know when that happens. You'll know when, that, when you start to lose that fellowship. I also think in a church this size and as close as we are, hopefully, to one another, if you see a brother or a sister that's struggling, maybe go to them with a helpful spirit and say, I just sense something's bothering you. I can tell you at one point in my life, just in my history with this church, I was going through a circumstance that was really hard for me. And I got just a letter in the mail from Brother Orville one day. Just a random letter. And who writes letters anymore? But you know, that was cool. That really made me feel good. And really helped me through that time. You know, go to somebody if you sense that they're struggling. struggling, And have lost maybe some of their fellowship. And are we to ask for forgiveness? Or as some teach, does grace cover it all? Some will teach that you don't need to ask for forgiveness because you've been saved. There's those two spectrums of once saved, always saved, or you sin once and you've lost it. Well, let's get here, okay? Um, Bible's clear on that. Once saved, if you're truly saved, you're always saved. But you can lose that fellowship and you need to for, ask forgiveness for that sin and make that right. And then we are called to examine our lives and deal with sin. It's that self-awareness I was kind of talking about earlier. If you have the Spirit of God in you, you will know. You will know if something is going on in your life that isn't right and needs to be worked on. When pastors 
in the middle of a sermon and you know sometimes you know I, I want him to give me a list of what he's talking about because you know I'm, I'm probably not doing one of the things he's mentioning but he never does because he keeps it open-ended so now I'm wondering if I'm doing one of those things he's mentioning or intending to mention and that's God speaking to you going hey you need to if, if you're wondering then it's probably something you need to get right about and we are to be conforming to the image of Christ. This is a constant journey. Constant journey. Uh, I saw one author, he kind of uh, worded it in, in kind of a constant regeneration. We've put on the new man, yes. We're a new creature. We obtain Christ, or we obtain the Holy Spirit. We have God in us. We're, we are full. We're, we're fellowshipping. But we're constantly growing, constantly growing. As you know, pastor says often, none of us have arrived, none, and likely none of us ever will. We're a constant project. But as we kind of begin, when what John was telling us in First John is, you know, if you're listening or you're in church and you all of a sudden Satan starts working in your head and he starts with this. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe those things he's talking about from the pulpit, yeah, you know you've been doing those. And you haven't made it right yet. So maybe you're not really saved. You're like, no, you know what? I am saved. I remember that moment. I remember that feeling. And I'm, I just got something I need to get right with God about. We'll get right with him. Get right with them. We'll have worship services start here in about 15 minutes or so. Great opportunity. Great opportunity for, you know, just whatever it is. Like I said, from the seat or from the altar. But uh, just some additional tests for us that if we're truly Christian, Christians are going to mess up, but Christians also got to get and ask for forgiveness once those things happen. So. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the lessons that John has for us in this epistle. Written to a church long ago in the first century who was struggling with many of the things we struggle with even today. I ask that, uh, this, these, uh, that if there's a Christian here today, that, Lord, there's something in their life that they just need to get right about, that they take that opportunity here with worship services here in just a little bit. Either then or when they get home or from the privacy of their pew even now, that they just lift it up to you and say, Lord, forgive me and take that away from me. And that you'll then give them the confidence and the lifted spirit that, it, that they can enjoy the Christian life that you've provided. Lord, again, as we get ready for worship services, we ask for your continued presence, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, Brother Lynn will be doing a combined class in here, so it will also be combined. So we'll see everybody in here again next Sunday morning. Yeah, you doing let's, well? Let's not shake it. Well, I've been a little congested. I don't want to get nobody sick. But that's I'm good. glad. That's good stuff. So I'm I was sitting there, that. and I was like, I said, man, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. And I said, in my mind, I was like, 
All right now, Brother Randy. You got to let them know about what it's saying here.